Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, do you ever feel nostalgia creeping into your mind? I do. Yeah? Yeah. What do you what do you get nostalgic for? Well, you know, every time I, I hear like the tinny strains of an old twenties tune, I start feeling like I need to do the Charleston. Nope. I remember the days no, back where there were talkies. No. Talkies ruined everything. No. But yeah. I mean it I mean it's entirely possible that you could feel nostalgic for that. Say if you were if if you were introduced to a lot of, say, old timey movies when you were younger, you could your nostalgia could conceivably sort of um, skip back through time. And you could have sort of an artificial nostalgia of a time from before you existed. I do have an affinity for that time period. But I will say that having a kid, I definitely have experienced nostalgia more uh, deeply than I probably have ever in my life. Because you're 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 observing the child at, at a certain age, and you're thinking back on your own existence at that time. Uh, just because time seems to pass so quickly, and there's so many beautiful moments, mm-hmm. and then there's this idea. Actually, we're sort of defining nostalgia right now, but it's that idea that you have a resurrection of a memory or a feeling that carries with it sort of a bittersweet feeling because you know that time has passed, and you can never retrieve that moment again. And it was a beautiful moment, right? Yeah. As a lot of people point out, nostalgia tends to hit you in a way where it it feels a, it feels a little good, but not like whoa, amazing. It feels a little sad, but not in a like a deeply depressive way. It's kind of this ambiguous, uh, overall positive feeling. Yeah, but it's 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 kind of all over the place, you know. Like I'll I, I found myself experiencing nostalgia um, probably a lot more recently, and uh, and I'll and we'll talk about that as we we go here, but. Uh, like I'll find myself like thinking back to music that I listened to when I was in high school. A lot. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I find myself re-exploring um, Tool albums, uh, and I still like Tool to this day. But I was really into them back in uh, back in high school, back around the time Anima came out, and uh, and so I'm listening to that. And I'm feeling and I'm enjoying the the songs, and I'm feeling nostalgia, and I'm thinking about uh, reading uh, Lovecraft for the first time and mm-hmm. discovering this music. And and so on one hand, it's like a celebration of these things that I still love. I still love Lovecraft. I still love this music. But then I'm also think it also makes me think, or even subconsciously go back to that time. And uh, and it's weird because on on one hand, it's like I don't really wish I was a high schooler again. No, you don't. Like that was a a weird time, and there so many things were out of place. And uh, and and yet there's something in me that's kind of reaching back there, or something from the past feels like it's 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 phantom limbs or or coming after me in the present. Well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to this idea that this this idea of firsts and and nostalgia because they seem to be pretty well connected. Yeah. And perhaps the reason why we continue to dwell in this realm of nostalgia. Uh, John Tierney, writing for the New York Times, says that most people report experiencing nostalgia at least once a week and nearly half experience it three or four times a week. Um, Erica Hepper, she's a psychologist at the University of Surrey in England, found that nostalgia levels tend to be high among young adults. This is really interesting, too. We'll get into this. Mm-hmm. And then dip in middle age and rise again during old age. And that nostalgia begins as early as age seven. Well, what do you have to feel nostalgic about at age seven? You do, because I think that you have this awareness that you're getting older. You're like, oh, man, I was just thinking the other day about pooping my pants. And it was like, that's a good time. I'm so nostalgic for those days. Well, you know, like even uh, my four-year-old will sometimes say, I don't want to... I don't want to get older. I don't want to grow up because she has the sense that she's moving beyond 
time and she's moving beyond phases mm-hmm. and that there are other things in front of her. So it doesn't surprise me that it's as young as seven that kids start to look back and, and pine for some sort of warm and cozy memory. You know, it's it's interesting that we are talking about nostalgia after just recording an episode on the Ouroboros, the world-consuming serpent, the eternity mm-hmm. snake, uh, the eternity dragon, um, because that is a creature that is curving around and consuming its beginnings and in, and in doing so... Uh, creating this uh, this cyclical nature of itself. And in a sense, nostalgia is that. Uh, we are reaching back into the past and feasting on our beginnings. And it seems to uh, to fill us with, a, with some sort of energy. Well, and we're recycling our memories. That's interesting because I was thinking about this in terms of materialism. Like, I, when this is one of the reasons I think that nostalgia has uh, taken such a hold in the United States, at least in the last 50 years or something, mm-hmm. you know, ever since Coke started serving up this idea of Santa Claus and all these sort of classic warm memories post-World War II, uh, because that's that's a way that you can easily access that nostalgia, right? It yes. could be music. It could be merchandise. And I was starting to think about how, in some ways, our existence uh, for each of us is almost like we're living on a movie lot, and we just kind of roll in all these props. Yeah. That kind of make us feel more connected to whatever it was or is important to us in our lives. And a lot of that has to do with nostalgia. Yeah, certainly. I mean, like you said, the advertisements constantly changing, the culture, the, at least the, the visuals of it, and uh, to, and also the technology of it constantly changing. And uh, and therefore, we have all of these obtainable physical uh, and or visual symbols that we can call to to, uh, to feed that uh, nostalgic hunger in us. Yeah, I was thinking about the new iPhone commercial. Have you seen this? No. It's basically just people hanging out with their phones and going through um, old texts or conversations or um, pictures and feeling nostalgic. And I thought, well, this is interesting because they've, they've taken this uh, phone and sort of made it a stand-in for the repository of your memories or nostalgia and connected it that way. It sounds like a horrifying episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> it's it's supposed to be poignant. Well, it sounds dark. Um, in fact, you might even say that it sounds a little sick. And you, you wouldn't be the first person to think that nostalgia sounds a little bit like some variant of mental illness. So, yeah, I didn't realize this until I started doing research that uh, nostalgia was actually considered a psychiatric disorder at one time. According to Dr. Clay Rutledge, writing for Scientific American, there's a Swiss physician named Johannes Hofer who coined the term nostalgia in 1688 to describe what he considered a cerebral disease unique to Swiss mercenaries fighting wars far from home. He thought that nostalgia caused anxiety, insomnia, irregular heartbeat, and disordered eating. And he also thought it was caused by continuous vibrations of animal spirits through fibers in the middle brain. Yeah, it, it was like this big mystery. I mean, people were like, "Oh, this this nostalgia. You got to be careful here. Let's yeah. let's what? not um, play any of these tunes because our soldiers are going to go into a deep depression or funk." Yeah, what's the matter with these guys? Something must be wrong that they're not enjoying fighting this war and risking life and death far away from home. Why do they they keep getting all sentimental about uh, a simpler time back in a place that they know and love? That's yeah, just sick. I, this was a uh, this was really interesting. This is a New York Times article um, called "Nostalgia: What Is It Good For?" It says that military physicians thought that it had to do with the soldiers' eardrums and brain cells being damaged by the unremitting clanging of cowbells in the Alps. 
So it was, you know, obviously this was not a well-studied area. Yeah. Um, but I, I like to imagine the study that might have happened, though, where uh, you have two test groups, one exposed to alpine cowbells and the other uh, not. Right, yeah. I know. So is it the cowbells? No, it's not at all. Um and in, in this persisted, this idea, mm-hmm. really into the 20th century. And professor of history at Weber State University, her name is Susan J. Matt, she said that this disease of nostalgia was known about in the United States during the Civil War, and there were 74 deaths from it on the Union side and more than 5,200 cases in the Surgeon General's records. And it became such a problem that they banned Army bands from playing Home Sweet Home. Hmm. Now, Now, here's one of the... Something that, that occurs to me out of these examples, for starters, okay, n- nostalgia. The things I feel nostalgic about, like, and I think a lot of people do, like, nostalgia tends to apply to things that, by and large, don't matter in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, like the feeling you feel for, say, a departed loved one that has died, like that. It's not nostalgia. That is a that's like a deeper, more close emotion, you know. But uh, but nostalgia is is a little harder to classify. It seems like two things need to happen for you to feel nostalgia. Yeah. Either your your physical surroundings have to change. You have have to travel somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and in in olden times, why would you travel a long distance? Uh, especially if you were not particularly into the idea, you would do so because you were engaged in a military conquest of mm-hmm. some kind. Or what has to happen is the world around you has to change. It has to, the music changes, the advertisements change, the technology changes, etc. And then, and, and then you, you feel this nostalgic link to a place that doesn't really exist anymore. So I wonder to what extent in previous ages it was harder to feel nostalgia because you weren't necessarily going to ever leave the area in which you lived. You know, you'd be more or less surrounded by the same Places mm-hmm. and uh, and the, the level of technology, the level you know, the, the basic aesthetics of the world around you would more or less remain intact. No, this is interesting, especially for agrarian-based societies, right? Yeah. So ten thousand years on, we primarily have just been in the same place, except for when you begin to think about a place like the United States of America, which is mm-hmm. a very young country and, and, and a country that many people emigrated to, and people continue to move around, and that's sort of an American thing, is that you um, you find your survival by sort of picking up and going and, and um doing something for yourself that's new in a new area, new possibilities, yeah. right? The gold rush, so on and so forth. We encounter that on Facebook all the time. We all have that have that friend who's had a tough time, and they're like, I said, I'm moving. Leaving to a, to a different city. Going to start over somewhere new. And that's that's the, the idea in itself. You know, I'm going to change my physical surroundings, and in doing so, I will change who I am. Well, the Susan J. Matt, the professor of history, um, she was actually saying that in that way that nostalgia became a very un-American emotion. Because not only did it have this uh, association with this psychiatric disorder of in, in people who had come back from war, but it was this idea that was opposed uh, this whole like uh, manifest destiny yeah. that you need to not feel homesick, that you need to pick up and move and, and begin your life anew. And so she was saying that it was very interesting to, to see the ways that it's represented in American culture, and really in American culture that. Uh, nostalgia doesn't truly get embraced until after World War II. And she says that m- uh, much of that can be attributed to the fact that 
during World War One, they began to better understand nostalgia and they began to better understand that people who came home who were depressed and who had anxiety had signs of the newly established syndrome of shell shock, not nostalgia. Huh. You know, in a sense, the idea of nostalgia as a negative force, uh, it does make a lot of sense because in a sense it is looking back to the past, clinging to the past instead of moving forward and uh, and welcoming new things. So I, could, I can easily see where it, it could uh, it could be interpreted as a negative uh, force. And if you were nostalgic for things that are harmful, either like say, hey, uh, man, I really miss cocaine or something, you know, like that would be bad nostalgia. Or when you see like people who are really into, say, uh, images of uh, sort of an imagined uh, antebellum South, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, that can be kind of disturbing as well. Like you're kind of nostalgic for a thing that didn't quite exist the way you think it did and was really kind of a horrific time. Right, which kind of gives you that whole idea that, again, memory uh, and the way that we construct our world is unique to every single person, right? We just sort of all agree on a set of conditions to say, hey, this is how we're defining the world, but everything else is up for interpretation. But it does turn out, and we'll talk about this uh, after the break, but it does turn out that nostalgia actually is a good thing, by and large, because it helps to regulate our emotions. That being said, I'm going to go get nostalgic for for some talkies and a carton of cigarettes. All right. A kid. A kid. All right, we're back. We've been talking about nostalgia. We talked a little bit about uh, toxic nostalgia, but uh, for the most part, this is a positive force in our lives. It is, and we should probably scratch at what actually characterizes the experiences of nostalgia. Dr. Clay Rutledge, who I uh, talked about before, his research focuses on how the need to perceive life as meaningful impacts mental and physical health, close relationships, and intergroup relations. So, of course, he's very interested in nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And he says that these memories tend to be focused on momentous or personally meaningful life events that prominently feature close others, so friends, family, romantic partners, uh, family vacations, road trips with friends, weddings, graduation, uh, birthday parties, gatherings for the holidays, all these sorts of things are these uh, cherished experiences. Yeah, I can see that. Like just thinking about family trips, uh, like I, I instantly think of family trips to the beach, and like oysters, like raw oysters with uh, with cocktail sauce and saltine crackers. There you go. Yeah. See, so now if you were one of the participants in one of his studies, that's probably what you or one of the things that you might have written about. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Rutledge found uh, with the participants is that when they were writing about their nostalgic experiences, um, and when someone went through and, and sort of weeded out everything else, they found that there were many more positive emotion-related words used than negative emotion-related words, which I thought was interesting because it's come up before that uh, we tend to have better recall and use of negative words than positive ones mm-hmm. in general. But here's this case where you have just a, a outflowing of positive words, um, kind of giving you a hint as to where this is going in terms of your mindset. Yeah. So researchers have looked at, at the causes of nostalgia, and uh, they found that there are a number of uh, things that can kick it off. Uh, social interactions, so like you're getting together with an old friend and you're talking about, hey, remember that uh, remember that teacher we had in college? And the next thing you know, you're nostalgic mm-hmm. for some, either a particular experience or some sort of fragment of that time. Um, sensory inputs, 
uh, music. You hear an old song and you're like, oh man, I haven't listened to this in forever. Nostalgia. Or a smell. And we've talked before about how with smell, uh, that kind of... Uh, uh, undercuts our conscious uh, labeling of experiences. So we'll smell something, and we'll suddenly be nostalgic for something, and we don't even necessarily remember what we're being nostalgic for, but that smell will take us back to sort of a general time frame. Uh, tangible objects, of course, old photographs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, somebody's uh, old watch, somebody's old wedding ring, you handle that, and it'll take you back. An uh, old iPhone. <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, people do get nostalgic about their technology. Like, one of yeah. the nostalgia trips that um, I have found amusing, I, I interviewed a guy who is really into it uh, for the blogs, and, uh, and and I've gotten into it a bit, too, uh, is VHS nostalgia. Like, we, no, when, when we were done with VHSs and we moved to, um, to DVDs, mm-hmm. like, we couldn't, ev- most people just couldn't get rid of those VHS tapes soon enough. Just dump that. We have it's a better true. technology around. But now pe- people are really feeling this, uh, this, flood of nostalgia for, in, in, in my cases, a lot of it is the, the films of that time and the, the kind of look and sound that they had, the, the digital film scores. But then some people are like really hardcore nostalgic and, and even obsessive about the technology itself. They're, they're, they're buying old VCRs, fixing them up. They're collecting tapes, sometimes spending uh, kind of crazy amounts of money on, on what to any other eye would be a just a beat-up piece of discarded technology. Well, you, you hear the same sort of thing in the recordings of music sometimes. Like People yes. prefer to hear the scratchiness or mm-hmm. just the, the imperfections as opposed to everything that's edited out and so clean. Um, you know, I think that was one of the chief complaints of going from a record player to a cassette player. Yeah, the, the distortions and the imperfections of the sound become a, a part of what we, we loved about them. Uh, two artists in particular, uh, musical artists, there's a, a musical artist named Tycho, and then, of course, Boards of Canada. Uh, both of these groups, especially Boards of Canada, really employ uh, this nostalgic, uh, like audible nostalgia for uh, for sounds that are sort of distorted, old mm-hmm. electronic soundtracks, this kind of thing. And uh, and they they weave all these things together, like take the things we're nostalgic for and boil them down to their basics, and then reassemble them into, into a new uh, sonic form. And then so you're you're taking it in. It's a, it's a new thing, but at the same time, it is is heavily nostalgic. Yeah, I have to say, with an accordion. I just feel that. I mean, throw in a theremin, <laughs> yeah, and I'm just a puddle. You're, before this is through, you will tell us something you're actually nostalgic for. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding about that at all. All right. Maybe you are a time traveler. Yeah. yeah. A time lord, even. Right. Don't tell anybody. All, all right. So those are some of the things that cause uh, uh, nostalgia. But uh, in, in these studies, a negative mood was the most commonly reported cause of nostalgia, and, uh, and and generally, loneliness was the most frequently listed negative emotion that led to nostalgia. Yeah, which led to the researchers positing that psychological threat was the culprit for digging into the past and using nostalgia as a kind of bomb. Mm-hmm. And of course, how did they do this or bear this out? They triggered a sense of loneliness in their participants. They had one group who, after completing a questionnaire, were told that they scored high on loneliness. And then they had a second control group, which they said that you don't rate very high on loneliness. Uh And then they asked all the participants to complete a measure of nostalgia. And it turns out that participants in the loneliness condition reported being significantly more nostalgic than participants in the control group. And then... Just just to make sure that this was really going on, they had another study in which uh, some volunteers read a story by a supposed Oxford philosopher who wrote that life is meaningless because any single person's contribution to the world is, quote, paltry, pathetic, and pointless. 
and of course, is the idea here is that there's a theme that threatens perceived meaning in our lives. And then they had another group read a neutral story. Again, it was those people who read about a, a life being meaningless who indulged in nostalgic thoughts and feelings. Hmm. Well, you, you know, I, I compare this to my own experiences because right now I'm not I'm not in a lonely state of mind or a depressed state of mind, but um, Tomorrow evening, mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I are flying to China. We're going to pick up our son, and it's gonna, we're going to be there for two weeks, and it's going to be kind of stressful, and it's going to be like a life-changing event. Uh, and yeah. so I, I feel a certain amount of like anxiety about that. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of intense excitement about it, and then, and then also just like you know, seven simultaneous heart attacks here and there <laughs> as I yeah. as I think about it. And so I can only assume that a lot of my recent nostalgia. Uh, as opposed to just sort of general nostalgia, has maybe risen out of that. It's possible. I mean, yeah. do you find yourself kind of not that no, not that we need to get you on the psychologist's couch here or anything, <laughs> but do you find yourself kind of accessing childhood memories and? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when especially when it comes to um, purchasing books for the child mm-hmm. and looking at toys, and then you know I'll think, oh, I had this book. He's they, like, oh my goodness, I don't have a copy of the Starbelly Sneeches in the house. Yeah, I had that as a kid, and and then. And maybe that's why the Starbelly Sneeches have come up in like three different podcasts recently, because I, I keep thinking back to the things that influenced me as a child as I consider this child coming into my life. Yeah, it's possible. Your son is very lucky, by the way. Oh. Uh, sorry. I don't, well, I'll try well, thank to, you. Yeah. All right. Um, I didn't mean to get all the clampish. Um, so, I mean, as you, we can tell, there are definitely benefits here to indulging in nostalgia because it does kind of uh, make you feel as though perhaps you are recentering your universe of meaning just by accessing this information and reframing what's going on in your current life, right? Right. Um, now, from the journal Current Directions and Psychological Science, a paper by Clay Rutledge again, uh, says that nostalgia serves at least four key psychological functions. I'm talking about generating positive effect, elevating actual self-esteem, which I was sort of surprised to me, fostering social connectedness, and alleviating that existential threat that there's no meaning in life, right? Indeed, the social connectedness thing really interests me because, of course, you think about nostalgias, and other people are inevitably going to share your nostalgia. I mean. I dare anyone to give me an example of something they're nostalgic for that nobody else on the planet feels that pull towards. Like, uh, you know, I mentioned like the VHS thing. Uh, people feel nostalgia for that, and so there are whole communities where they talk about trading these tapes, they talk about the technology, uh, and, and certainly with any kind of music or media or art, people are going to gather around it. They're going to draw these uh, sometimes forgotten artists back from obscurity and celebrate them again. So no matter what your nostalgia is, you're going to find a community of people, especially online, yeah. that, that share it. And you're going to feel this intense connection with people like, hey, we're team VHS or we're team, um, I don't know, uh, old Beatles albums. I don't know, whatever your nostalgia is. It's true, right? Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. There's sort of a more universal, we all feel this way and we're all connected in that way. But there's also like, you know, maybe someone was involved uh, in watching this movie, this particular VHS movie with you. And mm-hmm. then you think back about your connectedness to that person as well. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, self-esteem was involved in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Rutledge did a, a number of studies that bore out that self-esteem, again, perhaps this connectedness or this sense of accomplishment was the underlying reason for that self-esteem. And it again brings me back to this idea 
that we no longer reside in like the same community in the same place and, and share the same uh, sort of general social group anymore. We move out, we move to new places that are in those places themselves are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So you you reach to things like uh, like old VHS tapes or old music. And those become sort of the, the the social connection with a surrounding that uh, that earlier people would have had just by being in the place that they call home. That they were yeah. right, and which makes me think about embodied cognition. We talked about mm-hmm. this embodied cognition, um, this idea that things, or even um, putting on certain kind of clothes, would affect the way that your your brain behaves and the way that you think. And so then I was reminded of this study uh, that we came upon about feeling warm when you indulge in nostalgic thoughts. Yeah. And this was a study, or rather an experiment in the Netherlands by J.J.M. Winkelhoetz of Tilburg University. Uh, he and his colleagues found that listening to songs made people feel not only nostalgic, but warmer physically. And then, this is, this is where it gets kind of even crazier, uh, Zinyu Zhu of Sun Yat-sen University tracked students over the course of a month and found that feelings of nostalgia were more common on cold days. Huh. And they found that people in a cool room around 68 degrees Fahrenheit were more likely to engage in nostalgia than people in warmer rooms. And, of course, as a result, they felt warmer. Huh. Well, I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that every time October rolls around, I also I often feel like a lot of nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, because I'm getting into Halloween season, so I'm getting nostalgic about old Halloween uh, celebrations of the past and old bits of Halloween-themed media, but also the temperature is changing, so... Perhaps yeah, and I and I actually start to think about certain foods and experiences yeah. too that you start, I've had. Start thinking about fall foods and winter foods and all that. This is an interesting perspective. Psychologist Tim Wilshut says that if you can recruit a memory to maintain physiological comfort, this idea that you would feel warm through this memory, mm-hmm. um, he said that at least subjectively that could be an amazing and complex adaptation. It could contribute to survival by making you look for food and shelter that much longer. So presumably he's talking about in an evolutionary sense. So one might be uh, you know, out in the wilderness trying to find a place that can sustain them, and they are in the process sustained by nostalgia for a place that sustained them, or even just a thing that sustained them. You're right. It doesn't even have to be like, oh, our, our ancestors needed, mm-hmm. you know, they were out in the wild. It could just be that you were on, say, a long hiking trip, and yeah. you didn't pack as much water as you needed to, or food, and you needed to go back into your memories to, to get that sort of warmth. And, again, that idea that there is rhyme and reason for what you're doing. There's yeah. some sort of grand master plan, and nostalgia helps to recenter that uh, reason for living and meaning. And it's so crazy how some of the things we feel nostalgic for, I mean, there are things that we're nostalgic for that at the time we were kind of indifferent to, mm-hmm. like... VHS distortion, distorted sound or distorted, uh, uh, you know, imagery. That was just part of watching a VHS tape. No, no one thought anything special about it. You might think, oh, well, that's kind of weird or neat. But now it's the thing we feel the pull towards. Or I think back to going to church, going to a Baptist church when I was a kid, and we would sing all these hymns, and I hated the, the most of the hymns. I mean, some of them were fun to sing, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, but for the most part, I did not have a lot of love for uh, leaning on the everlasting arms. But now I hear it. And I get kind of nostalgic for it, and even even though it's not something that I like consciously had a, had a lot or any love for at the time. So we and I think there are a lot of examples of that in people's lives. You're suddenly nostalgic for something that really didn't matter all that much uh, back in the day. 
No, I, I have an example of that too, and it's um, hearing football on a Sunday. I hated hearing it when uh-huh. I was little because it usually meant that my dad was going to be sort of like uh, tense and like perhaps even yelling at the screen sometime. But now I hear it and it just makes me feel again like fall is upon us. There's huh. going to be popcorn. Yeah. You know, there's there's comforts and security there. Yeah, and all those delicious foods too, like cocktail weenies and the red sauce. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what made me become a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. So along those lines, there is, of course, the nostalgic bump, the uh, reminiscence bump to consider in, in kind of a, a cultural sense. Yeah, this is an interesting article uh, by Katie Walden writing for Slate Magazine. The article is called The Mysterious Memorable Twenties. And uh, it's an interesting article because it talks about a person's 20s being a no-man's land between childhood and stable adulthood and perhaps the reason why there is something called that reminiscence bump where you have a ton of these memories and nostalgia packed into that time period. Okay, so as you as you move forward, you think back to that that your twenties, and that's an area that's just rich in influences. Yeah, because it turns yeah. out that we we just remember more events from late adolescence and early adulthood than from any other stage of our lives. So hmm. there are a couple of theories about that. Uh, there's a 1988 study by Cohen and Faulkner that found that 93 percent of vivid life memories concern unique or first time events, and between the ages of 10 and 30, there are a lot of first, right? So that's mm-hmm. that buys into this idea that you're encountering the first time that you uh, rode a bike, the first time that you drove a car, that you kissed a girl, that you kissed a boy, that you had pizza, that you know, all these are first, but then after age 30, it all kind of gets a bit rote, right? Like, well, kind of, well, you still it, have experiences. It depends what you didn't uh, check off the list uh, <laughs> during that first period, I guess. It's true, but most things that mm-hmm. you encounter just in living become rote, so you really do have to go after those new experiences after that certain age, right? right? When you're 30, you've kind of done most of what everybody else has done. But the idea there is that you're just chock full of first, and that perhaps is the reason why uh, we have so many memories or nostalgia available to us then. But then you have this guy, David C. Rubin, who comes along in his book, Remembering Our Past, and he says only a small portion of the memories that constitute the bump, this reminiscence bump, relate to novel experiences. So that gets you to this idea another theory that jumps in here, that it's identity-based and that there's a narrative perspective here and that it's kind of all flowing into the story that we make of ourselves. And the story is really ripe between those ages because that's when we are becoming who we are becoming. Right, and we're... We're thinking about the person we're going to become. We're looking back in the rear view mirror on the person we've been. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, um, Katie Walden, the, the writer of that article, cites a uh, study by Judith Gluck and Susan Bluck. Yeah. And they have proposed that uh, the, there's a convergence of three qualities that make an event indelible in our minds. Okay. So the first one is that it has to be joyous. Uh, two is that it allows us to exert control. Mm-hmm. So, again, this identity making. This is the thing that makes me who I am. This is like a part of me. Yes. And Mm -hmm. three, we perceive it to be highly influential over the course of our lives. Mm -hmm. So that kind of fits into this narrative identity-based account of ourselves, right? Like on on some level, like when I'm thinking back on these different things I'm nostalgic for, I'm Mm -hmm. saying, hey, I'm a tool guy. I am a VHS guy. I am a... 
<laughs> leaning on the everlasting arms. I mean, in a sense, I mean, I, I guess I'm nostalgic for it because I do look back on the things about being raised in a Baptist church that have shaped me and, and some, some of the aspects of that that remain with me to this day. See, and I think that that theory really does kind of line up really well with why we concentrate so many of our memories and nostalgia during that time period. Yeah. Because there's, you know, I have some friends who could have cared less about um, high school, but I have other friends who are like, oh, it was yeah. great. And for them, during that time, there were certain things that really helped to identify who they were as a person. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. Well, I guess that's it. Oh. I'm already feeling nostalgic about ah, this episode. For this episode. Yeah. yeah. We only just finished it. And that's the way it is with nostalgia. Something happens, and then before you know it, you're nostalgic about it. It seems like just the other day it was a new experience. That's right. One that built our identities and made us feel all warm and, and cozy and gave us a little uptick in our self-esteem. Yeah. And again, it's like the Ouroboros. It's the snake. It's moving forward in time, and then at some point it turns back around, and it goes back to its point of beginning, and in that sense becomes eternal. Here's here's my little outro question to you. Okay. Do you think on a generation ship, and I think I've seen this depicted somewhere, so this is not an original thought. I'm on a spaceship. That's, we're headed off to a distant planet. It's going to take generations upon generations, generations of, of generations. human lives to get there. How how much nostalgia and what types of nostalgia, let's say the generation ship leaves tomorrow, do you think we'll be on board? Does Beyonce make it? Well, Beyonce is easy to bring, either in musical form or frozen. She so. will have her own generation ship. Thank you very much. <laughs> I could see, I mean, since some of these uh, cultural figures, they would kind of become like gods. And I mean, you could argue they already are our modern gods and our, our modern avatars. So I could see them being important. But I wonder if you were on a generation ship, particularly if it was a generation ship that wasn't particularly earthy in its design, mm-hmm. we would quickly become far more nostalgic for the many details of, of of life here on Earth, some of the simple things, you know, uh, n- not necessarily even the big things like you know mountains and gravity, and, uh, but the smaller things like you know pigs. I don't know. Yeah, and, and would you start? Would it become just completely ridiculous? Like instead of just going to the coffee maker on the generation ship, like there was such nostalgia for coffee that you'd have your own beans that you would grind, that you would pick out of civet cat's poop. Yeah, possibly so. Or would you become maybe nostalgic for things like pencils? You know. Why would you have a pencil on a generation ship? That'd be something you could never have again. Like, when would you get around to recreating pencils on another world? You wouldn't. I think you're right, and I think there would be this whole, like, pencil economy on that ship. <laughs> you know? It would be like, it, people would have them in glass cases. Because, yeah, you'd have to make them from scratch. Mm-hmm. That would be, it would require a crazy amount of effort. All, or just print them out. Or print them out, yeah. yeah. But, but that's the thing, too. If you had 3D printing and nostalgia coming together... That would be almost a dangerous combination because every little nostalgia trip, you'd be like, "Oh my man, I remember, I remember pencils and pens. I'm going to print out every possible variation of pencil and pen that I encountered. Got to do the mechanical, got to do the the normal, got to yeah. do the thick one, got to do the colored pencils, got to do the the ink pen that had three different heads in it, and you would click them. The one with the flashlight in the rear." Well, what else are you going to do on a generation ship anyway, right? Which means that that generation ship, I see how this is going, is going to be completely weighted down with junk, and it's not even going to make its destination because we've all turned into a bunch of hoarders. Or we're having to jettison nostalgia junk like every uh, <laughs> like every week or so. So the, the flight from Earth to uh, Planet X becomes just this trail, this rat trail of droppings, like nostalgia droppings just floating in space to mark our passage. Yeah, that would be more likely. I see that. <laughs> 
Well, there you go. Nostalgia, what it is, what drives it, some of the science behind it. Uh, obviously, everyone out there listening to this uh, episode has something to contribute on this. What uh, What are you nostalgic for? Particularly, is what's... What is it nostalgic force that is either most interesting to us or most sort of weird to you? Like, what's something you're nostalgic for that you, again, didn't even really like all that much back in the day, but now it, you identify it as a, a part of who you are? Let us know about all that. You can find us in all the general places. We're on Facebook. We're on Tumblr. We're on Twitter. Our homepage is StuffToBlowYourMind.com, and there you'll find our blog posts, our videos, our audio podcasts, as well as links out to all of our social media uh, in, embodiments. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMindAtDiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 